Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest for this episode is Katie Rose Clark, who just began previews right as this episode drops. For Merrily, we roll along the much-anticipated Sondheim revival. She is from Texas, has an amazing story of finding her love in theater pretty late in in her young life, and then uh, going off to college and almost not even graduating before setting the record, which I believe she still holds for the longest person to play Glinda on Broadway. So lots of great story to share. Find me online, Instagram, Facebook, Threads, TikTok, Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening, uh, whatever platform you're using now. And so everybody, please, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Katie Rose Clark. Today's guest made her Broadway debut in The Light in the Piazza, holds the record for the longest person to ever play Glinda in Wicked, the musical, originated the role of Helen in George Takei's Allegiance, and brought Ellen to life in the 2017 revival of Miss Saigon, and is involved in the development of The Heart of Rock and Roll, a new musical based on the iconic songbook of Huey Lewis and the news. On TV, you may recognize her from CBS's The Good Wife, alongside Juliana Margulies and Michael J. Fox, and in the digital comedy series relevant starting with previews this september 19th we're going to see her alongside jonathan groff daniel radcliffe and Lindsay mendez in merrily we roll along katie rose clark welcome to the theater podcast thank you it's so good to be here I, I realized that the wording is like you hold the record for the longest person to ever play glinda it sounds like that's a record for being tall yeah <laughs> <laughs> it really does um, yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that has been fact-checked. I think I, I, it's the longest-running uh, or most performances of Glinda on Broadway. I'm, I th- I'm thinking it's the longest-running Broadway Glinda, but I'm yeah. not even sure. I don't know. I've, I've heard that a- across a couple different places, which I think is is really cool. And um, uh, do, you, do you know Brett Schufer? Did you ever overlap with him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not yeah. in Wicked, but I, I do know him, yeah. Yeah, so Brett, um, he, he made a comment to me. He's like, you know, it's hard to leave a show like Wicked because you, you get that Wicked money, right? It's yes. like, it's a, a knowing that you have a contract that essentially is open-ended, more or less, right? Yeah. Um, was that, I guess, is was that part of the decision to stay? Did you love the show? Like, I guess that's a good place to start for us is, is when you're doing new work or developing new work or even staying in the work that you've got, um what what's coming into play about like do i renew my contract again or do i take a chance and try something new like where does that mindset come in yeah i for the principal contracts they there is an end date on our contract so it's it is a it is a set term so i was kind of at the mercy of if they invited me to come back or and offered me another contract so that kind of helped my decisions but truly i i mean Goodness, it was a long time to do one role and a role that is so physically and vocally demanding. I did get quite exhausted of, of it, uh, you know, in the process of it. And um, but really, it, it's such an amazing show. I really was I felt so lucky to do it. You know, I was in my 20s. I was trying to just um, 
it was really the show that I cut my teeth on. You know, I got hired to do Glinda when I was 23, you know, and I wow. just kept doing it. Yeah. So I really, I learned a lot of my skills and sort of ha- how to be a professional doing Glinda and Wicked, which is like a wildly privileged thing. I can't believe that that is my story. So yeah, I mean, I, I get the idea of like, yeah, you want to move on and do other things and be, you know, you know, sort of diversify a little bit artistically and creatively. But I mean, also I felt pretty fulfilled in that show in a lot of ways as well. And then, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great contract financially and in other ways too, you could really kind of establish yourself. Yeah. I, I feel like I've talked to a lot of Glinda's and Alphabas and I feel like it's a, uh, it's it's a club, right? It's oh, not a club. It's it's more yeah. than a club. It's it's like a it's a, it's like a sorority. Yeah, I was I was literally going to yeah, say sorority like next. A sisterhood. But I think it's, sisterhood. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I mean the understanding of having to maintain that level eight times a week, right? Like these are these are roles. Um, I mean everything everything you've done so far, and even coming into into Merrily, like I feel like the expectations around all of this are. Are, are just huge, but I feel like that's sort of you now because like you replaced Kelly O'Hara mm-hmm. in Light in the Piazza, right? So like mm-hmm. replacing someone like Kelly is a lot of pressure and then stepping into Glenda on the first national tour of Wicked uh, before hitting Broadway, again, pressure, expectations. Sure, yeah. uh, wait, wait, wait. So you said 23, you, you did Broadway or was that the first national tour? First national tour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then how long did you do the tour before hitting Broadway? Um, just under two years. It was like a year and it ended up being like a year and 10 months altogether. And then I had a couple of months and off and then I joined the Broadway company. And then it's the same. I, I did it two years on, in the Broadway company. And then uh, they asked me to do um, a short stint in L.A., kind of like an L.A. sit down, short sit down in L.A., which actually was the the national tour again, but they were sitting down in LA for like, I'm going to say it was like two or three months. I can't remember. It was a while wow. ago. Yeah. And then I came back to Broadway. I mean, it was just, I was all over, you know, and, and thank God. I mean, I really, again, like I said, I really cut my teeth on that show. Was it harder to do the tour or the, or the Broadway run or what did it not make a difference? Um, you know, I think I was always so, I mean, I was the role for me was so um, vocally challenging and physically challenging that I found it, I found it just no matter where I was, I had to kind of, I really had to learn how to keep myself healthy and in shape to do the show. Um, And I definitely made every single mistake in that area along the way. But yeah, definitely sitting down in the city is, is easier. You don't have the added pressure of, you know, picking up and moving and getting used to a new city and getting resettled into a new city every, you know, couple weeks or a month. And honestly, the tour for Wicked was amazing because you sit down in a city for two weeks at least, usually. I think there were very few one week sit downs for me when I was on the tour and the tour was relatively new when I joined it back in, you know, 2007. Is it, is it harder, uh, some people like this and some people don't, but is it harder for you um, as you're traveling on the touring side to hit different theaters because there's different, I mean, literally just aside from the different dressing rooms and the different sizes of the wings, the stages are different and like are, mm-hmm. are set pieces always exactly a, a certain distance apart when you're touring or mm-hmm. like is there things that have to cut because of stage size or do they not even go to certain places because the stage isn't big enough yeah that's how it was when i was on the tour back then we had we had our own 
our show was like it had its own footprint. We just like set it in there. So Hmm. if theaters couldn't accommodate the size of our footprint, then we couldn't go there. And I think that was ending. That ended up being why they ended up doing the second national tour was so that they could accommodate different houses. I think they made adjustments to it so that they could fit in more houses. Interesting. They shortened the name too. It was just called Wick. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> smaller they size. The name, uh, they shortened the, they made it smaller. <laughs> they shortened the show. It was only two hours. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it just went straight to Defying Gravity, and that was it. <laughs> it was a yeah, uh, ninety minute no no intermission. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, then back up, back up. Then to to I guess little little Katie Clark. Um, where did you where did you grow up? Like where was it? Where was uh where'd you cut your teeth as a kid? Yeah, I grew up in Texas, but in a, a town called Friendswood, which is kind of right smack in the middle of Galveston and Houston, on the Gulf Coast of Texas, and yeah, that's where I grew up. My family still lives there. My my parents still live there. My brother lives there with his family. There's a lot of people, tons of Broadway people that come from Texas. Why is that? Yeah. What do you think? Gosh, I, I mean, it's a big state. <laughs> I don't know. I know, but, it, but it, there, there's other big states, but yeah. like Texas specifically produces so many Broadway people. Yeah. Well, like who else are you thinking I mean, of? I, I can't, now you put me on the spot. No, but I, but, well, no, Kevin Cahoon is from Texas, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. And Brett Shuford, uh, speaking of Brett, is oh, from yeah, Texas. Oh, yeah, Brett Shuford, of course. And Jeremy yeah. Jordan is from Texas. Yeah, like there's a lot of people who are from regions of Texas. I, I don't know if like... They just need to get out of Texas, and they, they, New York's the only place they could get to that makes sense. I don't know, <laughs> but um, what was it then about about your childhood when you started performing? And were you dancing, singing, acting, all of the above? Um, I was singing. I I took piano lessons all growing up, and it never really. I never really got. You know, it, well, that wasn't my <laughs> that wasn't my outlet. You know, um, and then I started singing. And in high school, I started um, taking voice lessons with this voice teacher named Lainey Carlin. And it was her who introduced me and my sister, both of us, to musical theater. And gosh, I mean, she would give us her CDs of soundtracks of shows. And I would take it home. And, you know, the little booklet that comes inside that you can mm-hmm. <laughs> you can follow along with the lyrics. And there's those tiny pictures in there. Oh, the liner notes used to have lyrics. I remember notes. the days. Yeah, yeah. Pictures and all the lyrics. And I would just from beginning to end, listen to the CDs that she would lend me. She would lend them to me and let me keep them for a while. And I would just learn these shows. And that's how I learned Miss Saigon and uh, Secret Garden, Les Mis. I mean, all the one, all, all, all the great ones from those days. I mean, I, and so I, that's, and I fell in love with it. And I just remember, I'll never forget going through Les Mis and reading, you know, and, and Miss Saigon, I think it's because, it, you know, those are fully sung, so you can kind of really get the full story just from the soundtrack, you know, so I, whereas it's not just like selections from the show, it's actually the full show. So I just remember sobbing through this cast album of Miss Saigon and Les Mis, these soundtracks. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of had the, and then I started doing, she ran a community theater in my hometown. So I started doing shows at her community theater and that was all in high school. Oh, wow. So you didn't even get into it until high school. And yeah. was there, was there a concrete turning point you remember where you're like, I guess I want to try doing this as a job. Cause until that point, I mean, kids right now, my kids times, times they are changing. My older one who's just started third grade is like, I want to be a YouTuber, which didn't exist when we oh, were kids. Oh my gosh. Uh, Hilarious. Right. I, oh, pfft, not for me. I'm like, 
get a real job. Um, sorry to all you YouTubers out there. I know it's hard work. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's so different, though, isn't it? Oh, it's so different. I mean, YouTube wasn't di even around really. I mean, when I came into the Broadway community with like doing Light in the Piazza, it was 2005. That's when YouTube started. It was brand new. So yeah, we didn't yeah. know that there would be bootlegs and things out there. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't even know there were online message boards back then because I was so... It was just not part of our awareness back then. We didn't have smartphones really back then. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, and YouTube, like Google bought YouTube in 06, I want to say. And that's like when it really, I think, yeah. really started to take off, yeah, right? Because that that's when you had Google money being shoved into it. Right. But no, I, 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 I anyway, so back to the original question, right? Like, <laughs> do you know what in middle school... Do you remember what you were interested in? And then in high school, was there a turning point where you said, I want to do this as a job? Oh, my gosh. I think I didn't really think about that until I went to, I mean, I went to college and I started, I mean, I auditioned for all the big schools trying, you know, after high school, trying to get into a musical theater program. And I didn't get into any of them. So I kind of, except for the one that was closest to home, which was at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. And so I went there and I actually, you know, had a great time there. I had kind of one experience with one, I had one experience at school that was a little negative and I, and at Sam and I took a break and I stepped away from doing um, musical theater. And I just stepped away from pursuing my degree in musical theater for a semester. And then I just decided that wasn't it. And I came back to school and I kind of doubled down on it. And I started auditioning. Anytime I got an opportunity to audition for a professional show in Houston, I would drive down from Huntsville and try to audition. And I ended up getting, um, I got in the chorus of Anything Goes with D. Hody when I was a, like a junior or senior in college. And I was like, wow, I got a professional acting job. And I was like, maybe I can do this. <laughs> and I started making a plan of how to save money to go to New York, to move to New York. And, you know, I was going to do this whole, I actually had it. I had worked all through high school and college. So I had saved a bunch of money. I had this whole plan you know, lined up of like how much I wanted to have in my bank account, how much time I would take after school if mom and dad would let me live at the house and keep working to get to my savings goal before I moved to New York and all this stuff. And then during that time, I got this opportunity to audition for Piazza, which was also so wild and uh, random. So we flew up, my mom and I flew up to New York to audition, to take this audition, thinking it would just be like a high and by <laughs> neat opportunity. And then I got a call back for it and we, we had to, we had to extend our stay. We had to change our flights and get a new hotel. Like we were not planning to stay, but I wow. got this call back. So we, we stay, we changed our flights and changed our hotel and stayed. And I ended up, then I got it on a Friday afternoon. I found out I got the job to replace Kelly and had to report to rehearsal on Tuesday. So I had the weekend to go home and pack a bag and come back to the city. I had no idea that, that you weren't even in New York, like established in New York uh, living wise at that yeah. point. Yeah, I was not um, not even living in the city yet. I was gearing up to graduate from college. Wow. So gearing up to graduate. So did you end up graduating? Were you able to graduate? Yeah, I had to take some of my finals online while I was uh, rehearsing here at Lincoln Center. Um I just, uh, I got a lot, I mean, I had done a lot of my, I was in my final 
days of my final semester. So I really was just having to do, I got, I started rehearsing in November. I was a December graduate. So I started rehearsing in November of 2005. And then, um, so yeah, I was, I was, Wow. right there i just had to take a couple of finals and they allowed me to do it online that's really fortunate yes i mean that that's one of those moments where in a multiverse you know one teacher didn't let you do it and mm -hmm. like your whole career is totally different right because yeah. it's one of these things there it's a gatekeeping moment that I, I like to call them right is is that you look back and you can trace it back to if this had gone the other way mm -hmm. it's a very simple choice yeah. would have changed could have changed absolutely everything. I, I love thinking about that stuff. Totally. That's such a good point. And you know, there was a teacher, it was a science, it was one of my science courses that I had to take online. And he, he wasn't, he was very like resilient to the idea of letting me do it online, do my final online. And I had this big talk with my parents and they said, you know, if this is the one thing that keeps you from doing this and getting your dream here, then we'll let you just not finish college if that, and we don't have to have a degree. And if that keeps you, maybe you can eventually do an online course and get your degree later. Wow. Good on them. Yeah. I mean, super supportive. That, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, some people are very, you know, must have degree, must do this. And it sounds like the science teacher science, of course, it's a science teacher who yeah. did support the performing arts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing, nothing against all of you scientists out there, especially if you're a YouTube science guy, person, lady. Um, <laughs> so we're then, coming for the YouTubers today. Yeah, dude, coming at you, YouTube. <laughs> um, we're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. No, okay. So November, you get it. Your first professional gig learning so your first professional gig living in new york for the first time learning new york while at 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 lincoln center lct one of the you know best organizations i think in new york for theater mm -hmm. um and not even and not even finished college taking your finals remember that whole pressure thing we were talking about <laughs> yeah so are are you are you feeling this at that time? I mean, think back to this moment, right? And are you like, oh, this is great. This is normal. I can handle all this. Or are you about to just, you know, fall over from exhaustion? Yeah, it was the latter. I didn't handle it very well. I was, um, I felt pretty overwhelmed. And I was, you know, I was young. I had just turned 21. I graduated early too from high school and also college. So I was just young, you know, and I, um, I called my mom really, um, just overwhelmed and she ended up flying up and staying with me for a couple of weeks, um, to help me get settled in. Um, and then, you know, and then it was the holidays. So my family came up and they, you know, they all stayed with me and yeah, it was such a wild time. Yeah. I mean, certainly did not handle the pressure of it very well at, at all the whole, you know, <laughs> during that season. Um, I mean, gosh, I learned a lot of things the hard way, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and, and I still do. I mean, you know, um, yeah, I do let, I did let the pressure get to me at different times. And I mean, I remember one night where my mom had like this real heart to heart with me when she was staying here with me, getting me kind of settled in, getting me used to the city and helping me kind of get my footing a little bit. And, and she was like, I need to know that you can do this 
without me here. You need Mm. to show me that you can handle this. And I think that's what I needed to hear. I just needed that nudge to be like, it's time to grow up a little bit more. And even though it was kind of jarring and I wasn't quite ready, you know, it was kind of out of nowhere that I moved to the city and had to do do all these things and had this responsibility and pressures and with no experience, you know, but I did need her to say, it's time to, time to do this now. You got to step up to the plate now, you know? That's good that that, that that's set with you. I think it's very cool. And it's something too, that I can tell is going to, move into your parenting as well right mm-hmm. because it's it's it made such an impression on you mm-hmm. that i mean even one little com- i mean it's not little but like one seemingly again insignificant conversation of just it, you know it's kind of shaped how things have have pushed forward because if she hadn't have said that would you have been able to push through it you yeah know, I, I, I love thinking about this it t- that I, i'll never forget that night that comment and it was so and in like classic Allison Clark fashion, you know, just very subtle without pushing or any real agenda, but just like, here's what it is. And she just let it sit in my brain. And, and sure enough, it really did. It shaped the way I, I moved forward as a professional. Wow. Well, good for her. So 21, you got Piazza, 23, you get Wicked. And then, so then it, you said you were doing it for two years. So then 25, you're on Broadway mm-hmm. uh, as Glinda. Mm-hmm. And God, like, I mean, your female voices in general aren't even fully mature until they're into like 30 or so, right? And then you develop it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So physiologically, you're still developing and you're mm-hmm. still uh, finding out who you are as a, as a performer, professional and, and um, with your voice as well. And I again, I guess looking backwards um would you what what's one of the biggest things that you that you feel you you could have done differently caveat that you know acknowledging that we won't be where we are without the mistakes that we made right Mm. so we can say oh if i'd done this differently i i'd be better but we don't know that right and we're happy and we're here because of the mistakes we made and we learned from them. But can you think back on something around this time, especially mid twenties? I made so many stupid mistakes, so especially funny. in my mid twenties. Me too. Well, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Cringy. I, I mean, I think back on certain things. And I just cringe uh, in my right. mid twenties. Um, yeah. You know, I think I, and I continue this, I continue to struggle with this now, but I think I was really hard on myself, particularly, I mean, I, you were talking about how the female voice just doesn't quite, you know, I, when I did, when I replaced Kelly, I did not have that sort of higher, more classical sounding soprano in my voice yet. That part of my voice just had not opened up. And I was so, um, yeah, I just felt a lot of pressure to sort of try to force it. And I, yeah, I just did not, it wasn't happening. I ended up going on the tour with Piazza and it was while I was on tour that I started my, I mean, I, there was just a change. My voice just physically changed and I don't have huh. any reason for it. And I, and it, I was able to sort of make sort of sounds that I hadn't made before in the Broadway production. And, you know, who doesn't want to sound like Kelly on those beautiful soaring notes that she just had her how she does it i don't know i mean she can straight up sing so i was like i had her in my head as like that is what i need to get to that's the trajectory and 
I wish I had just been easier on myself and just, you know, and who does at 21, just like accept yourself for where you are and give grace for where nobody, I don't even do that now at (laughs) the age I'm at now. (laughs) But yeah, I I think giving, being at peace with where you are and giving yourself grace, uh, that's, that's hard for me now even. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, what year are we in? So I'm about to be 43 next month. Yeah. And I still, I still struggle with that every day. Oh yeah. Same. I struggle with that every day of like, well, I mean, was I a good parent? Was I a good podcaster? Was I a good New Yorker? Right. Just mm-hmm. like legitimately going around and trying to spe- spread kindness forward. This stuff's freaking hard. No, and then to so be kind, hard. to be kind to yourself, I think is one of the hardest things people could do. It is. Gosh. And parenting brings that to like a whole new level, doesn't it? Like yeah. the pressure to do, you know, and I have great parents and I, I mean, and I have so much pressure on myself to just not mess them up, but I'm human, you know, I mean, you're not going to do everything perfectly. And, um, yeah, it's just, it brings it all to a whole new level, but I, I can be very hard on myself. Yeah. Well, how then, how then is, is Merrily going along those lines? So like, there's so much hype around the show because I think what, this is the first, this is, yeah, this is the first revival mm-hmm. ever on mm-hmm. Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it opened, gosh, opened November 16th, 1981, directed by Hal Prince, opened to widely negative reviews and closed after 16 performances and 52 previews, but it's been extensively rewritten. Yes. yes. So how is that going pressure wise for you? And I, I, I really don't mean to cause like anxiety and make this a whole like oh, ther- therapy session. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, let's do it. I like, I go deep. Let's go deep. Uh, <laughs> but like there, there is a lot of attention on the show in a very exciting way, in a very good way yeah. because people have wanted this for a long time. So like, are you feeling this? Are, are within the cast, have you guys all like huddled up and, you know, high-fived and, and elbow bumped and been like, all right, we got this, we got this, we can crush it. Like, how's that going internally? Kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah? I just, Dan says, you know, I don't have any baggage with this show because I didn't know it before this iteration of it. So I don't know any of that history. And that's not the version I think of. I just think of our version. And I'm actually pretty similar. I didn't know the show really um, at at all. I mean, I knew some of the songs from it, but that was it. So coming into Maria's um, vision of it was like, wow, this really is a this is an amazing piece, you know, so I only really have that as well. But um it is just so fun. And, you know, Lindsay Mendez and I have been friends for, you know, since we were Alpha and Glinda together on Broadway mm-hmm. years ago. We've been and we have kids the same age. And so just being in a room with one of my best friends and I've known Jonathan since we I, I did Piazza and he was in Spring Awakening. And I mean, it's just it feels like a little work family. So it's just a pretty happy environment. Um, and I don't think anybody really thinks about the pressure that's on it. Uh, or at least I don't. I mean, that's not really the energy in the room. I think we're just grateful to be able to do a show and feel so, um, and we feel moved by it every time we do it. You know, it's, it's a really tremendous story. And the fact that it works in reverse and you yeah. tell the story backwards that you still leave doing the show with this very hopeful, anything as possible sort of feeling. And it is, I mean, it's a real gift of a piece to be able to do. And honestly, I, I think 
if you ever get an opportunity to do a Sondheim show, you just leap on it because it's like really, I mean, just a treasure. Um, so anyway, I could gush about it on and on, but as far as pressure of making it to be something or writing a, a past wrong, you know, or trying to fix something that was a flop, I don't know that I, I in my view, as just Beth in the show, I don't feel that at all. What's it like um, when you said that you've known Jonathan, you've known Lindsay for a while, but, you know, uh, working with Daniel, working with the rest of the team, um, it, it just, I mean, all the, all the, press all the promotion that's coming out around it everyone just seems genuinely happy to be doing this and and like real friends yeah and and you can see it in the eyes of the photographs of of the production photos that are coming out yeah. everyone seems like really freaking excited just to be doing this <laughs> and to be happy and, and hang out with each other so yeah. yeah you said it's like a work family but what's it like as a whole and i Actually, before you answer that, I want to acknowledge, too, that you said you guys don't really feel the pressure as a cast, which I think is a testament to the creative team doing a great job of, mm -hmm. you know, letting you guys be in a creative, safe space and and be able to fully express yourselves without any worry of of anything like that. So, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. So, I, what, so what did great. I just put a pin in? What did I what did I say we'd come back to? I forgot the question I just asked. Um, before just about I, before how I we get along and it's kind of a happy oh, right. place. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so is it um, uh, the rehearsal environment, the, exp the exploration of your characters and your relationships? Is, what's, what's, what is that like with um, the, the established personal relationships you have with the, with the rest of the cast, right? So you're not coming into a room of strangers, you're coming into a room of real friends mm -hmm. and now creating your characters on top of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a luxury that we had the time off Broadway together. So the people that we ne didn't necessarily know before doing the show together, we got to know we had the off Broadway run together. And then we've had a few months since then, and now we're coming back together. So it feels like a reunion of sorts. And those of us that have kids, you know, they get excited to see how much they've grown. And, um, you know, we bring our kids up between on dinner breaks and things and, the kids play together and, and play. And the, I mean, the cast plays with kids, you know, it's just a, it's just a real treasure of a, of a, an environment. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, that is the starting place is that we kind of had this time away and now we're coming back together again. And so, but it's also a luxury just in the work so we can really like deepen what we've the groundwork we laid off Broadway now is just the starting point for Broadway like uh, in at New York Theatre Workshop that was just the starting point for what we've started in the rehearsal room for Broadway it's like if it could have gotten deeper it did which I you know at the time I didn't think it was possible but it's just more nuanced it's deeper it's it's really thrilling and we're just kind of mining more out of the material Right. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea of, you know, being able to really stand it on its feet. You work it, you work it, it goes off Broadway and then it's working so well there, but then you get to even fine tune it, you know, that much more. It, and it's, it's the same concept behind doing out of town tryouts. Uh, but, but I love the shows that, that come from New York, the New York theater workshop, especially because New York audiences are unlike any other and they're, they're critical unlike any other. And so you get 
I think you can fine tune it. You get a magnifying glass. You get to explore the things that can be improved in a way when you're doing the out of town here in yeah. New York. Yeah. You, you know, you, you get to improve it in a way that, that is different. So I'm really excited. I'm very excited for that. You first got involved with the, the workshop last year. So this is, we're in 23 now. That was 22. So did, did all of this come onto your plate um, post pandemic or during the pandemic? And, and what was that like, I guess? without without the work at that time yeah post pandemic it was my first show post pandemic and post having all my kids and so actually i you know Lindsay uh was living in la at the time and she and i would send we were still old ladies that use marco polo i know that's not what the kids use anymore but we would send marco polo because she was la and i was new york so we would send Mm -hmm. marco polos of you know just updates you know almost every day you know um, of our kids and just what was going on with our, on our lot in our lives. And she was sharing with me about Merrily. And I was like, this is going to be your, your job, Lindsay, this is like the perfect role for you. And the more she talked about it, I got so excited for her. And then I was like, I want to be in that show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hugely pregnant with my third baby at the time. And I emailed my manager and my agent. And I said, I don't know if there's which part, could maybe be for me, there's two other female roles. And I was like, but I want to be seen for one of them if possible. So sure enough, they got, they got on the, on the horn and I got an audition and I went in nine months pregnant and did my audition for the team. And I had my call back, uh, you know, at the end of that week. And then two days after my call back, I had my, my daughter, my third baby. (laughs) I was actually in, labor. I, so I wasn't supposed to go into labor um, with my third baby. They wanted me to, they wanted me to go to the hospital before I went into labor um, uh, for uh, just a few re- different reasons. So we were, my husband and I, the night before my callback, we were like timing contractions to make sure that we didn't need to go to the hospital. Um, so wild. Yeah. So I was in these auditions, just fully <laughs> having contractions and hoping I didn't like, you know, go into labor right there, but <laughs> holy cow, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. The Braxton Hicks are no joke. That's, that's, that's rough. But I wonder, I wonder if anybody out there is listening and knows of anybody whose water broke during an audition or a callback, I'd love to know about it. I would love to know about that. I'd love to hear that story. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I was definitely like in early, early stages, you know, it was like definitely can, I had to keep an eye when my contractions were really consistent. We were really having to watch them. I don't know if any of your listeners know anything about labor or birth, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah, we we were definitely like keeping an eye on it. It was a wild thing. Wild, wild, wild. And then I had my daughter and I kind of thought that it just went away. It didn't go my way. And then but two months later, they wanted me to come in and do an, a, a, a read with Jonathan, the chemistry read. And um you know, Jim Carnahan, the casting director, comes into the waiting room and he gets me and he's like, you look different. <laughs> he's like, you've got to bring pictures of the baby in with you for this. Everybody's going to want to see him. So I brought in pictures of my little, you know, my kids and my brand new, my Mabel, my daughter. Aww. She was two months old when I had my chemistry read. And then we found out at the end of that, the week that I got it. And then two months after that, I started rehearsals. It was wild. That's so cool. Yeah. That is very, very cool. And then 
so y- are you are you still involved with developing the Heart of Rock and Roll with the the Huey Lewis and the News musical, or is that on the back burner now, or is that on the side? Like, how do you have time to be a mom of three and develop a new musical and rehearse for Merrily and 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 and? You've <laughs> just got everything going on. Um, it seems like that um, probably from the outside. I don't, I, Heart of Rock and Roll. I just did a developmental workshop of it. Uh, right before we started rehearsals for Merrily this, it was over the summer we did. And I'm kind of waiting to hear when they're moving forward. And I do believe they are moving forward, but I don't have enough information yet, but yes, if they ask me to move forward with them, I absolutely will. That team is awesome. And I've been with the, the show from the very first table read, I created the character and um, alongside them and, um, and, you know, by the end of the process, the, the most, you know, the last workshop we did, this last developmental thing, I I just really felt just like a collaborator with the team. And Gordon Greenberg is the director and he's so dear and he's such a good friend and he's so funny that we would just, you know, talk about ideas together. And I, it was a real that's a real special thing as an actor to have that kind of rapport with the creative team. And I felt mm-hmm. really lucky to be a part of that and to have that with with them but i haven't heard what their timing is and if it will if it will line up with um my merrily dates so i'm just kind of waiting and hoping gordon i've known gordon for a while we we did uh dracula comedy of terrors which is about to open in the world stages right um but we have it on broadway podcast network here we have it as an audio drama that we created at the beginning of the pandemic so it's same same script. Um, it's probably been modified, you know, since then. But wow. uh, love, love, love Gordon. Such oh a such gosh. a great guy, Gordon He's... Steve Steve Rosen. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they are they're hilarious. Some of the funniest people I know. I mean, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you about. How, oh yeah, I was just going to say Huey Lewis is all on my mind now because you know Back to the Future. It, oh yeah. You know, he's, He's all involved with Back to the Future as well. But did you get to work or have you worked with Huey as part of the process? Or is, is he involved yeah. or not? Yeah, he's very involved. Yeah, is he's he? mm-hmm. yeah, he's really hands on and um, really is such a champion of it. You know, he loves musical theater. You know, he did Chicago on Broadway. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was um, Billy Flynn. Yes, I remember now. And, I remember. Yeah. So anyway, he's he's a big he loves musicals. He loves he loves hard to rock and roll. He loves the show. Um, yeah, he's a real champion of it. And he's so, I mean, it's, it is wild. It's a very pinch me moment. Like he just comes in the room and, you know, <laughs> he's just, you know, hugging everybody and he's, he's great. So yeah, he's definitely involved. Oh, well, I think if I believe it was Huey Lewis, I, now was, I'm about <laughs> to say it, I'm second guessing myself, but I, wasn't he the, the father on one tree Hill like 20 years ago? He played a fu- he played one of the dads of the main characters. Anyway, I think it was him because I had a scene with him as an extra on One Tree Hill. Oh, okay. I'm gonna have to look it up. I don't know. Yeah. I never watched it. Neither did I. So okay. We'll get to yeah, it. You know, I, I, I'm in there somewhere. I've been in like two different scenes. Yeah, they filmed in North Carolina where I'm from and it, Screen Gem Studios, or I guess oh what was gosh. Screen Gem Studios in in um, in North Carolina there. Yeah, so that oh, was, wow. yeah, it was, it was Dawson's Creek was pla- replaced by One Tree Hill. So yeah, if you, just like if you're a New York actor, you have to be something on Law and Order to yeah. like, as a rite of pack- passage, you have to do the same, the, the Screen Gem Studios 
uh, TV shows were the same North Carolina version of that. Oh my gosh, so. that's so awesome. Okay, well now I'm gonna have to go look it up. Yeah, I did one scene with Sophia, what's her name? I can't even get like, this is how little I remember at this point. Anyway, it's been so long. Um, okay, uh, three closing questions that mm -hmm. I use to end every episode here. Just the very first one is uh, what motivates you? Oh my gosh. I think, you know, my kids now, you know. That's I, interesting. So it, uh, go ahead, go ahead. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to, to you know, I go, because as, as an actor, we're in and out of work. And, and when we're in work, it's kind of intense. And then when we're not, it's where I'm just a full-time stay-at-home mom. And that can be like, feel like whiplash going between it's the two. So hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's so worth it when they can come up and kind of get context for where I go every day and what I do. And it's something that their little brains can understand. You know, I just kind of go and play pretend for a living, you know, mm -hmm. and sing songs, you know. <laughs> And they know Aunt Lindsay and, you know, so they come up to work and they, and, and Eleanor is at an age where she really gets excited about it. Oh, I, Eleanor Mabel, you said was your youngest one? Yeah, Eleanor, Eleanor Jack, Mabel. and then Mabel. Mm -hmm. I love those, those names. Those <laughs> beautiful names. Um, yeah, speaking of, of YouTube, this hasn't happened yet because I don't think any of your kids are old enough, I suspect, but mine are, you know, going to second, or second, third grade now. Mm -hmm. And they um, know how to, uh, put my name into YouTube. And so like oh stuff gets, stuff gets returned and they're like, daddy, you're famous. You're in YouTube. Oh my gosh. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how YouTube works. <laughs> I am not famous. You know, so one of these days, you know, you got to like expectations set with the kids, right? Of just saying like, you might find me on the internet. And it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's funny the way that they perceive things. So we're wow, trying to get perspective. that is so wild. Okay. Yeah. I'll be, uh, yeah, cautiously waiting for <laughs> one, that moment. <laughs> one day they're going to Google you and be like, oh, mommy's on the internet. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question then. What advice would you give to your younger self? We sort of covered this earlier, mm -hmm. but what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh gosh, that I echo exactly what we said earlier. Just be gentle with yourself and trust that you're enough and don't try to push yourself beyond just exactly where you are and who you are. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Hardest question now. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my gosh, I could never answer this question. What's your answer? Rent. Oh, good one. Because that was my touchstone. That's that's the show I saw where I was like, "Oh, musical theater is for me." Because mm. I'm not a Piazza voice. I'm not a I'm not a a Les Mis voice. Like that that's the style that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. You're a Rent voice. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Probably then that's making me think of what mine was, which it was all the soundtracks of Miss Saigon and Les Mis. But actually, actually in college, it was Thoroughly Modern Millie. Nice. And Sutton Foster. I was about but, to say, have you gotten to work with Sutton? No, I would uh, shrivel up into a ball of tears <laughs> and cry in the corner because I'd be so starstruck. I, I mean, I've met her like in passing kind of, but she's one that I just, yeah, would that's, be not, that's I would so have funny. zero chill. That's funny because you're like literally on stage, you know, uh, with with Harry Potter and 
Sutton Foster is the one that's going to make you shrivel into a ball and cry. <laughs> I know. I didn't really watch Harry Potter, which Dan knows that now. I've told him many times I'm very unfamiliar with his body of work. Um, I didn't see him in How to Succeed. I didn't know anything that he's really done. So, um, I mean, joking, of course. I know he's like a huge um, celebrity, international celebrity. But um, well, no, nothing like knocking him down a peg to really, really, you know, <laughs> really he, make a, a good bond. <laughs> it came up. Well, it came up because we were playing a game between shows off Broadway. We were playing. Do you know what like fishbowl is? It's kind of like celebrity where you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were doing that. And, you know, as a cast, we would do that between shows off Broadway. Uh, Dan and I were on the same team and I was going through and, you know, you have to go through, if you don't know something, you get one pass. And I saw this thing and I was like, I have no idea what this is. So I put it aside. And then at the end, and so it was my one pass. And at the end, you kind of tally up the ones that your team guessed correctly. And um, Dan was going through them and looking at them and he was like, oh, such and such. I still don't remember what it was, but he's like, oh, such and such. And I was like, yeah, sorry. I don't know what that is. He's like, it's a it's a character from Potter. And I was like, OK, sorry. So this is the moment where I tell you that I didn't see any of your films. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I thought we'd get through this whole contract together without me having to tell you that. And it was just a really funny moment. So now it's kind of a, you know, he knows. He knows I haven't well, seen him. Well, if he was Paul Rudd's character in uh, Only Murders in the Building, then he would have a party where you have to watch all of his films back to back, right? Because you have to stroke his ego. But he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Was that in the sh was that in Only Murders? Are you an episode ahead of me? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that Paul Rudd's character is so egotistical that if he found out that somebody had not watched his films, like uh, like Cobro, <laughs> totally then, Cobra, he, then, he, then he'd be like, all right, we got to sit down and watch this. We're, we're watching this until you understand me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that is the polar opposite of how Dan is. He's yeah. probably just the most humble person on the planet, uh, yeah, as, yeah. as famous as he is. Um, but that's, yeah, that's I, super cool. I did. I did read some of the the books, the Harry Potter books, and I, and I, I know what my house is. I, you know, back when I was reading, I read the first three books, and I'm a Hufflepuff. I read. I read. I you are you are a Hufflepuff. I can see that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I read all the books. Uh. I used to live in Washington Heights, so I would have. You know, before early cell phone days when, you know, you still didn't have uh, signal in the stations. Remember those days, kids? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Um, there, were, there was no signal downstairs that, yeah, I'd read, I read all the books on my commutes to and from work in the, my early days in New York. Yeah, did you watch the movies those? as you I read did. the books? That's what I was what doing. I, yeah. So I saw the first three movies. There you That's go. a lot. There you go. We saw a little day. A little damn. Anyway, um, so where can we find you online well, on all the social medias? I'm not really. I'm on Instagram. That's that's about it. Um, not a bad thing. Yeah, I never got on Facebook or anything. But yeah, come on over to Facebook. I mean, Instagram. I'm on there. Well, I'm. I've given up on X. I'm over on Threads again. Everybody, catch catch Katie in uh, merrily. We roll along. Starting preview September nineteenth. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, which obviously you are, leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro outro music and Katie Rose Clark gave us our amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.